Over the last 10 years, US equities seem to move in one direction. Even the COVID-19 sell-off was the shortest bear market in US history. You could forgive some investors for ignoring portfolio protection, as many would have never even experienced a real market cycle. Shorts, for the most part, were viewed as just a drag on performance. But the regime has changed. 2022 has been dominated by uncertainty around global economic growth and central bank policy. Market volatility has risen. The S&P 500 has shed close to a quarter of its value this year. It is the fifth worst calendar year-to-date performance since 1928, with 18 months of prior gains wiped away. In fact, as at the end of September, almost 20% of the S&P is around its 52-week lows. So all of a sudden, investing with a capital preservation mindset and the value of shorting are now back on investors' minds. Welcome to another episode of Good Value by Antipodes. It's Alison Savas from the Antipodes Investment Team, and we've got a unique episode lined up for you. If you're a regular listener, you would be across some of the long-term investment opportunities we often discuss on this podcast. But in this episode, we're going to switch things around and discuss Antipodes' approach to shorting. Today, I'm joined by our CIO, Jacob Mitchell. Jacob, let's get into it. Thanks, Alison. It's great to be here. Jacob, we will get to the crux of how we identify short targets and even delve into an example of a recent short position we've taken. But first, let's start with how we think about shorts within the overall positioning of our global fund. Sure. Look, we we think about shorts in three categories. Um, The first one, idiosyncratic single stock shorts. Secondly, index shorts, and then thirdly, credit protection as tail risk hedges. Single stock shorts make up the bulk of our short book, uh, the classic businesses in decline that are typically weak and expensive versions of our longs. You know, a great example of this, you know, was last year when we shorted uh, Zoom and we were long Microsoft. A second, the second category I mentioned are the index derivatives that we, we use to manage net market exposure and macro tail risk, um, you know, hedging rare events, which can, they can be both positive and, and negative, but here we are focusing on the potential negative shocks for which we, we maintain a dashboard. We look to put these hedges on when markets are relatively calm and volatility is low and hence the cost of the hedge is attractive but when, it's when we perceive there may be, you know, dark clouds are, are gathering. A subset of, of this is basket shorts. These are a focused collection of stocks that provide the exact characteristics we're looking to short, and we, and we take the exposure via a group of companies to diversify our risk. So for example, in the past, we've been short baskets of expensive, unprofitable tech stocks, um, baskets of weak and heavily indebted cyclical businesses. You know, we can design these baskets in-house or we can use, you know, off-the-shelf baskets baskets from brokers, you know, if they fit the bill. Apart from the, the diversification benefit, you know, these baskets provide a, a flexible way for us to express a macro or style tilt. For example, as we are now by shorting cyclical and low-quality balance sheet stocks. Look, finally, we have credit protection, which... You know, it's similar to index derivatives. They really allow us to hedge macro tail risk. You know, we typically express this via um, credit default swaps, which are akin to an insurance policy 
that becomes more valuable as the risk of default on a bond or a basket of bonds grows more likely. Similar to, you know, to, to buying a put on an equity index, when markets are calm and volatility is low, we can build attractive downside protection into the portfolio when credit protection is cheap and the payoff profile looks really asymmetric to the downside. You know, you know when, when rare negative events unfold, you typically not only get a dislocation in equities, but also in credit. And it, and it starts at the junk end of the spectrum. Credit spreads start widening and our credit default swaps generate a return. We saw this in the first COVID sell-off in early 2020 and more recently this year when Russia invaded the Ukraine and as concerns around central bank policy error have, have risen. So credit protection at the right price represents an effective low beta insurance policy. Now, Jacob, you mentioned net exposure. Can you explain what this means in a simple way for those listeners who may not be across this? Well, put simply, net equity exposure is the calculated difference between a portfolio's long and short equity positions. The lower the net equity exposure, the lower you would expect a portfolio to move relative to market fluctuations. That is, you know, the lower the beta of the portfolio. As a, as a rule, we don't manage to a specific net. Um, the net exposure is actually moves around really as an outcome of the opportunities in the market that we're finding, both on the long and the short side. It's an outcome of that process. But there are, you know, there are times when we do use shorts to actively adjust our overall ex exposure relative to market conditions. I called out um, in the previous question, um, COVID and the war in Ukraine, and they are good examples. In both instances, as the risk of a dislocation was building, we increased our shorts and credit protection to achieve greater downside protection. To, pro to provide you know, listeners some more colour, you know, since the inception of it, the global long short strategy, our net equity exposure has ranged from as low as around 55% and to as high as 85%. Let's turn to how we identify short positions. What are you looking for when deciding to short a stock? I'll give you a one-liner. You know, we are really looking for weak businesses, or, or to elaborate, companies suffering from a weakening in competitive advantage that are also overvalued and ideally facing a near-term downside catalyst. <laughs> it sounds very simple. Exactly. So, you know, how do we, you know, how do we find these companies? Um, our longs and our shorts stem out of the same industry-led research process. You know, rather than starting with individual stock analysis, each of the teams begins the process by forming a long-term industry view based on experience and research, taking input from industry participants, experts, sell-side analysts, so that we can form a view on how the industry will look in five to 10 years time. Yeah, the risk with starting you know, with a deep dive into a single stock is that you miss the holistic industry view that drives success or failure at the company level. From our industry analysis and model, we start to form a view on the potential winners and losers, and the industry analysis extends to detailed company level work and modeling. You know, specifically for shorts, we will identify companies where that competitive advantage is fading. You know, for example, um, 
maybe it's a weakening product position due to innovation by a competitor or companies suffering from uh, regulatory headwinds. Basically, businesses that are weak and are further weakening. Yeah, this dynamic can play out across both cyclicals that are simply on the wrong side of the cycle and so-called you know, secular growers that are rapidly maturing and becoming more cyclical. As a wise investor once said, you know, everything is cyclical in the long run. Ex extending this you know, further in a classic momentum bull market yeah, that we and similar to the one we've we recently had, you would typically come across what you what we call you know imitators masquerading as disruptors. I called out our decision you know to short Zoom last year. That's a that's a good example here. Or or incumbents that are ultimately facing real disruption. What often is described as the the melting ice cube or the short that keeps giving. For example, we've had some shorts in the US department store space, companies that have been consistently losing share to online and specialty retail. Next, you know, the business must be overvalued. And then the third element is timing, ideally for a potential short where positive sentiment hasn't yet broken. We are looking for a near term catalyst for a market disappointment. So the downside case starts to be realized. I did want to spend a bit more time discussing risk. Now, we know shorts are inherently riskier than longs, as the potential loss on a short is greater than that of a long. So how does risk management around shorts differ from the long book? Yes, you know, you're, you're correct. As a, as a long moves against you, the position becomes smaller, which, you know, all else equal, allows you to average down your entry price. The opposite happens with a short. The position gets larger, which makes it averaging up a harder decision. You need to be willing to take on more exposure. You know, accordingly, you know, position sizing of our shorts is much smaller than our longs on average, which gives us some room to move to provide, you know, a general sense. The combined size of our top 10 longs today is around 30%, while the combined size of our top 10 single stock shorts is only five and a half percent. And yeah, this is, in, is an important point. The market's understanding of a structural short will naturally increase over time as the case plays out and the short will become more crowded. Look, yeah, what do we mean by crowded? By crowded, it's the, the number of shares that have been short sold as a percentage of the total shares on issue has risen to a level that is impacting the cost of borrow. That is the cost to borrow the shares from the broker in order to sell them short. The more crowded the short, the greater the cost of borrow and the greater the risk of a short squeeze. That's when a, an aggressive upside price move becomes self-reinforcing as short sellers are forced to cover or buy back the stock. You know, think about the volatility around some of the meme stocks, you know, like GameStop and Bed Bath and beyond. We want to control that risk via position sizing and a high level of, of you know, uh, monitoring of, of short squeeze risk. Um, so look, as a short becomes more crowded, the volatility of the short will naturally increase and it becomes far more difficult to risk manage the position. Yeah, for this reason, the best risk adjusted returns from shorting often come relatively early in the market discovery phase, you know, of what, of the structural short, of the weakening case, 
And that's why it pays to be, you know, to really do the work and get ahead of the market. Um, liquidity is also a key factor. We want to be able to close out the short quickly if we need to. Further, our, our traders play a much more active role in managing the risk around the shorts. This includes when to close shorts to bank profits or stopping out of positions that are moving against us. Uh, it's worth you know, emphasizing that you know, not all long short managers run their short books the same way. From a process perspective, we keep our gross exposure of longs and shorts combined below 150%. You know, by keeping our short and gross exposures relatively controlled, our portfolio potentially has less risk than a fund that's running with a, a high short and gross. Yeah, that can run that that type of strategy can run the risk of getting caught in a negative feedback loop if shorts move aggressively in the wrong direction and longs need to be liquidated to manage leverage. Some great insights there, Jacob, on the shorting process. Now let's talk about it in practice. Snapchat. The app that has from time to time had many of us parents a little worried. Its developer, Snap Inc., is listed in the US and we shorted it late last year. Can you take us through the short case? Sure. As most would know, Snapchat is that messaging app, as you mentioned, where you can send pictures and videos that disappear after 24 hours, apparently. And it's... (laughs) It's overlaid with ads and it's an incredibly popular messaging app, especially in the US. And uh, early last year, it had around 290 million daily active users, which has since grown to around 350 million. Um, In early 2021, the company was growing at a really high clip. At its peak revenue growth was more than 100% year on year. And management were guiding you know for 50 percent top line growth per annum for the next two to three years and the stock was a consensus buy but look we thought the competitive landscape was shifting you know TikTok was growing very rapidly in the us and while it's not an identical business to snap we could see the com- competition for eyeballs and time spent was increasing and ad spending on TikTok was starting to accelerate Look, at the same time, Apple had also already removed the IDFA towards the end of 2020, and the impact was becoming noticeable. Now, look, the the IDFA, just to clarify, is the handset's unique identifier, which enabled advertisers to track our internet usage. Removing the identifier made made it harder for internet platforms to measure and target advertising. In simple terms, this change made it harder for Snap to know which ads to serve up to their users. And we concluded it would you know, affect Snap's ability to monetize the messaging app. But the company and the market were looking through this. The company claimed user growth and product innovation would plug the gap. For example, it had developed Spotlight, their own version of short form videos to compete with TikTok and were developing Snap Games and Snap Maps with a plan to run ads on all these new products. Look, our view was that commercially these, these innovations would be immaterial relative to the core messaging function. And finally, it was, you know, the stock was priced at 25 times revenue you know, a hefty multiple when you consider the risks to the business and that inflation had started creeping up and there were growing risks around, you know, rising discount rates. So in short, you know, the company was facing the near perfect storm of rising competition, product challenges, very high investor expectations, 
i.e. it was a consensus buy, and, and timing-wise, we expected the stock to miss forecasts in the next one to two quarters. And has that position been closed out? Yeah, look, that position has played out and, uh, and, uh, and, and it has been closed. So looking forward and given the move that we have had in markets over this year, where are you seeing opportunities to short now? Yeah, look, at the beginning of the year, you know, the focus of the short book was what we call growth traps, expensive, weaker growth and expensive tech. Um, Now, with the Nasdaq down 30% this calendar year, those shorts have really, you know, played out well for, for, for the fund. In fact, in the six months to June, the global long short strategy booked its best six months return from shorting since the inception of the strategy seven years ago, with uh, the shorts generating a five and a half percent contribution. But if we, you know, if we think about the current market backdrop, you know, we have Western central banks hiking aggressively into slowing economic activity. You know, the risk of recession is rising, and the question is really whether the engine, you know, the Fed can engineer, a, you know, a soft landing. Now, around sixty percent of our long equity exposure could be, you know, broadly speaking, be classed as cyclicals. Now, the bulk of this uh, uh, in stocks exposed to energy transition, some well-capitalized financials that are benefiting from rising rates, and some consumer exposure. Now we would we would probably you know more accurately describe these as you know, attractively priced dominant businesses that can take you know that can take profitable market share you know against a backdrop of you know higher inflation and a tougher economic environment. However, we you know we're cognizant of the broader macro risk. So our our single stock shorts are also you know over the the course of this year we've rotated out of those you know, ex- ex- growth traps and, and more into weaker cyclicals, you know, particularly across industrials, private credit and the consumer. Um, now, look, the ability to short means we can take uh, long exposure to, to st- specific stocks that we like and also manage the broader and macro style tilts in the portfolio. Uncertainty around global economic growth and global policy is considerably higher than recent history. And so as a result, the market volatility has materially risen. So this is a backdrop that is more conducive to shorting. But it is fair to say that shorting hasn't been easy over the last decade. Uh, You know, I, I called it out at the top of the podcast. Up until recently, market volatility has been very low as equities, you know, really just surged higher and higher aside from that very sharp but ultimately short lived COVID sell off in early 2020. So, what are some of the lessons you've learned over the years with regards to shorting? That's a that's a great question, Alison. I think the first one is you can't short on you know valuation alone. It's you know it's it probably sounds self-evident, but you know there is the temptation um, even you know even if a quality business and a market leader and with a you know where where competitive position isn't weakening, um, you know if the valuation is of the, that nosebleed variety, there's always always that temptation to to take it on. The problem is you can really you know you can burn you know burn a lot of capital waiting for the D rate you know to, to take place. So it's 
you know, you, it's like we put that in the too hard uh, bucket. Um, the second is timing. Let's say you have a, you know, a structurally weak or, or weakening business and the valuation is high. You, you know, the best way to maximize your return is to really finesse the timing of, in terms of putting on the short. Um, you know, looking for a, a near-term catalyst to realize the downside. Look, over time we've developed um, greater use of alternative data and capabilities, which is really just the ability to track in real time uh, data relevant to the evolution of the investment thesis. And that's, that's whether it's a long or a short, you know, to finesse entry points and manage the risk over the life of the position. And thirdly, you also need to understand how your shorts interact with each other and, and the long book. You may think you have 10 individual single stock shorts, but combined they could add up to one large macro or factor style bet. You can have less diversification in your short book than you realize. Sometimes it's appropriate to take that risk, but you need to realize when you're taking it. And lastly, you know, paying respect to momentum, acknowledging when timing isn't right and closing out to revisit at a, at a later date. You know, it, it, looking at 2019, you know, we were short expensive growth and long duration and the momentum was against us. And I think from that, you know, from that less lesson, we've actively embraced more use of puts and credit protection as part of the risk management toolkit, you know, to basically build in more asymmetric protection into the portfolio, which just gives us greater flexibility in trending markets. To, you know, by, by the way, 2019 was also a relatively extreme regime. And if you look at the market today, we seem to have shifted to, uh, to a different one. Um, you know, the growth momentum regime that dominated the QE era you know, has transitioned to a more volatile world of fiscal activism where both the economic and market cycle we think is likely to exhibit far greater amplitude that will breed opportunity you know, for fundamental long short strategies. You know, in the short term, the market does look oversold um, because you know, sentiment is very fragile. Um, having said that, you know, earnings estimates that we think are still too high relative to what's going on um, in the economy and with, uh, and with policy. Um, so yes, we can bounce, um, but we do think you know, that itself will breed opportunity. Thanks, thanks, Jacob. Look, we'll wrap it up here, but as always, thank you for your insights. No problem at all. Thanks, and yeah, it's great to, great to chat. For any further information on Antipodes, head to our website, antipodes.com, and you can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. And don't forget to look out for our next episode in a few weeks' time, which will cover Antipodes' views on the where to from here in markets. Please remember this content is general information only. It is not advice of any kind and doesn't take into account your personal financial situation, objectives or needs. You should seek professional advice before making any financial decisions.